This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This is Metal Mike, and in this episode, the script gets flipped. My buddy Ryan asked me the questions, and the questions are about my new book, A Hair Metal Journey. Yes, it's all about the stories from the bands that I've talked to over the years, plus my own personal stories of being a little metal maniac in the 80s. If you've been enjoying the podcast over the past four years, and you want to give us some love, you want to give us some support, go on Amazon, buy the paperback, get it on Kindle, whatever way you like to read books, man. But now it's time to check this out. All right. Well, Mike, welcome to your 80s glam metal cast, dude. How are you? I'm doing good, man. This is crazy because I feel like we've done all these podcasts and now it's like the roles have been reversed. So this is, uh, it's scary. You know what I mean? I have no idea what you're going to ask me. We didn't plan any of this. So I don't know what the questions are. So now the, the roles have been completely reversed on me. So this should be fun. Yeah, man, this would be great. Well, Today we're here to discuss your brand new book, A Hair Metal Journey, which focuses on the years uh, 1986 to 1991. Uh, Did you ever think that someone would be interviewing you on your show about the book that you wrote? No. <laughs> I mean, you know, the, the funniest thing was, is like, I, I want to say like maybe a couple years ago, what, what, it popped in my head, like, oh, maybe I could write a book someday with with, uh, with a lot of these yeah. interviews and all this stuff. And then I was like, nah, nah, I don't think so. And then I never thought about it again. Then I had this, uh, I was on vacation and I couldn't sleep. And it was just like, I mean, it was going on for hours. You know, sometimes you're in like a foreign place and you just can't sleep. And oh, yeah. uh it just started the book it was like an audio book just started running in my head you know i was like 1980 your first memory of uh, of uh, getting these records when you were a little kid you know like all this stuff just started playing in my head and then then in the morning i, I didn't want to like you know i'm still trying to fall asleep so i'm not trying to grab like uh or something to write yeah with. you know i'm not trying to write this all out you know i don't want to disrupt my wife and everything while she's trying to sleep so <laughs> so you know finally i did fall asleep but then i woke up that next day and i just started hammering out and it was just a constant flow and here we are got it done well yeah that's great and uh just i might add before we really get going congratulations on it being number one in the heavy metal biographies on amazon that's crazy you know i was just looking at it so i guess it's it's number one in new releases i think it's like number five overall in heavy metal books and uh it's it's doing pretty good man i mean i think thanks to everybody the support is great and uh much appreciated and and just yeah it's very cool very cool well awesome dude well the book takes you on a journey through the years uh specifically detailing a band on or their record release at the time um what i enjoyed and found so different than most books was was kind of walking through not only your personal experience with that band or album but then it followed up with an excerpt from the band member themselves um tell me about the concept and how it was speaking to your childhood heroes well, let's just say <laughs> there was no real concept <laughs> <laughs> at first. Okay, so I, I think going into it, I was just like, I started thinking of, okay, so the first step was maybe I could tell my story, right? At least a part yeah. of it as it pertains to music. And as the book starts off, I'm kind of realizing, well, I don't know if there's that many people are going to be interested in my story. I'm not a famous musician <laughs> or anything like that. So, okay, that part of it's not going to work on its own. Then the light bulb kind of went off and was like, hey, dipshit, you interviewed, you know, a hundred people or more. I don't know how many people I've interviewed, but it's a lot. And asking around, you know, I kind of find out that I own the rights to those interviews. Those are interviews that I did. It's no different if, 
you know, somebody from Tiger Tales did an interview with Kerrang. You know, Kerrang pretty much has the right to that interview. So uh, right. that's kind of that was the beginning part of it. Was like, okay, I could tell a little bit of my story. And, and I think, Ryan, the reason why I want to tell my story, it's not because I think it's some interesting story or it's a great story. I just want people to relate because I think they can relate. You know what I mean? I feel like yeah. they, you know, people my age, older and a little bit younger, they remember going to record stores. They remember the T-shirts they had. They remembered uh, the concerts, the first concerts they went to. I'm just trying to put that out there and maybe you could insert your own life and your own stories into to what I said. So so I think that's really what I'm trying to do. I'm getting nostalgic. Hopefully you'll get nostalgic. And then, hey, for bonus, like some whipped cream and sprinkles, we got the actual guys <laughs> that made the music that I love and, and you guys all probably love. So I, I, that was that was the concept, pretty simple. The only thing that happened as, as I got going is when you put this in order, when you frame it, but year by year, you start finding similar stories for everybody. Like everybody's saying, right. oh, I, I got the ballad got pushed on me, or oh, we had the album done, but we had to rewrite it. And it's like, it's constant, you know? And, and then the light bulb goes off, and it's like, wait a minute, maybe we could explore who destroyed this genre, what destroyed this genre. Uh, so I think there's some times where it's really lighthearted and fun. And then there's other times where we dissect it and we get a little bit deep. But like I said, it's not a super long book. It's, you know, it, it's like large print, 200 pages with pictures. So you can bang this out pretty quick. Uh, it's not overly expensive either. So so it's not like I'm, you know, giving you like a, a fairly short book and, and charging you an arm and a leg for it. it. It's a relatively cheap book. Next part. Okay, so I'll move on. To, oh, my God. Inter, you know, getting talking to all my heroes. It, it's like, <laughs> and, and I think, how do I say it? All right, so here's what happens. Anybody who does something like this, you don't necessarily take a lot of time to realize what you've been doing. You know what I mean? So, like, right. you know the deal. Like, especially at the beginning, I was putting on, like, two a, two a week sometimes. or one a week. Or yeah. So, as soon as you're interviewing Mark Kendall from Great White, you know, later that week you're interviewing uh, Chips Enough or, 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 or Steve Bliss. <laughs> and I don't know if I ever took a lot of time. Like, I thought it was cool at the time. You know, and I was like, oh, this is great, you know. But then you're constantly in this flow. You put on another episode, transcribing it, blah, 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 going through it, going through it. And I think writing the book kind of helped me step back and it's like, holy shit. I remember sitting in my room, and I, I think I mentioned this, you know, studying the album covers and studying the liner notes. And it's like, oh, yeah. Almost like I came full circle. Like, I, I didn't like disregard all this stuff and go in some other direction. I hung on to it. And I and I brought my hobby out like to the forefront. Like I got to talk to all these guys, and it is cool. You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. It happened. You know, over thirty years later. <laughs> so you know, it would have been <laughs> cooler if it happened in uh, nineteen eighty-seven. But it is still very cool. I, you know, so many of the people I talked to were, were decent. I still communicate uh, with them now. A lot of people that I interviewed have been sharing the story about the book. So no, it's super cool. It, it is like dream come true kind of stuff. And uh, I feel like this is kind of like a way to just, I call this, it's like the its like the 80s glam metal cast souvenir book or tour book. You know yeah. what I mean? We don't, yeah. go, we don't go super deep necessarily with any one band. It's, it's kind of impossible. I can't write a whole book about Lillian Axe, even though I would like to. Um, you know, <laughs> I just kind of give you little blips of, of information that I thought was cool when I did the interview. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, so, yeah, definitely, you know, it was an honor to talk to these people. Well, that's good. And and I totally can relate to all these cool stories you tell um, about, you know, record stores and liner notes and all that stuff. And I really thought your concept of adding the excerpts in there from the actual artists was a really cool new idea. So I thought it was great. And it's an, a really easy read. And yeah. for a bunch of metalheads like us, you know, it, it better be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's like grammar problems in it. I'm sure, you know, but I always look at it like this is rock and roll, man. You know what I mean? And 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 I feel like even to critique myself, there's sometimes you got to look at it too. I'm I'm almost going back to like my juvenile days, so it probably sounds somewhat juvenile. You know, the, the stuff that I did, <laughs> the stuff that I say, because you know, you know, I get it. There's some guys that were like 20 during this era. They were probably really partying and having a good time. I was just like 10 years old when I got into this stuff. So yeah. I was really like a friggin' child. So 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 some of it may come across as childlike, but then I feel like there's other times where I got a little bit more deep and maybe that was more descriptive and more interesting. So I think there's a clash 
uh, of, of different ideas in there where there, there's some juvenile stuff that's just me talking. I feel like with any book, any book that I've ever enjoyed, I never really gave a shit if they were like eloquent. You know what I mean? I just wanted to hear yeah. that person tell me their story or a story. You know what I mean? And that's all this mm-hmm. is. You know what I mean? I'm not trying to impress anybody. I couldn't impress you if I tried <laughs> when it comes to, you know, being a writer. I'm not a writer. I'm not an author. I'm not a, I'm not a journalist. I'm, I'm none of that stuff. I feel like I'm just a fan that got to talk to the people that I listen to. That's pretty much all I am. Well, you already impressed me with busting out the word eloquent in Ooh, the interview. See? So good job. <laughs> I, 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 was, I was looking up different uh, you know, words last night, big words I could use. Oh, perfect. All right. Well, here's one, here's one that might make you think a little bit. So this is, this is not going to be the juvenile metal mic. This is going to be now. And I'm going to ask you this. Okay. What is it? What is it about metal in general? that appeals to you so much. Have you ever broken that down and really thought of it? You know, honestly, I think what one thing I tried to do with the book, and I guess I guess to answer it right off the bat, I, I don't really know. You know what I mean? I don't mm-hmm. know. You know, why do you <laughs> like anything? Why do I like pizza? It tastes good. Why do I like metal? It sounds good. I don't know. You know what I mean? But I feel like what I tried to do, and, and I wasn't doing this for the reader. I was just kind of doing this for myself. The very beginning, I blow through like a couple of years where – I'm just a little kid and I'm not even listening to metal. And and I don't get too deep into myself because I get it. Nobody really cares. But the only reason why I wanted to frame some of like who I was, because I think who I was explains how I got to where I am. You know what I mean? So I feel like if I was big into like it, coming up in the 80s, like being a kid, you, you're coming up with like WWF, right? It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Right? You got these giant characters with long hair and they're very commanding and they wear makeup and flashy costumes, you know? Like, this is just the norm, you know what I mean? Or Rambo or friggin' <laughs> Batman or Star Wars, whatever it is. Like, there's all this over-the-top, larger-than-life characters. So I think that's where this comes from, at least the beginning of it, you know? And then when you say, like, there's a part in the book where I say, well, I had to collect all the wrestling figures. I did the same damn thing with cassettes. You know what I mean? So it's like, yeah. this is what I'm about. And I, and I know other people can relate to it. It's like, we're nerds, we're collectors, we're, you know, we like flashy in your face stuff. It's just it's just what we grew up around. So it, it continues to make sense. I think with anybody who likes metal and, and, and glam metal and hard rock and everything, you, you just like stuff with an edge. Even if it looks glammy, yes. like you there's something about that that just registers with you you know there was kids that it didn't register with them you know there's there of was course. kids that like yeah. rap or country and, and that's cool there, there's something about them uh that so they identify with that but it's like I, that's why i tried to kind of frame like okay this was some of the stuff that i was doing prior so it makes sense you know i like the rambo movies so I'm gonna like um, uh, Kane Roberts, you know what I mean? So like, this, yeah, this is all this is all in my wheelhouse. So I think that that's where it came from. But I, I think it's just what people like we like something with an edge, you know. And, and and I think that's at the end of the day, that's what we we just that's that sound sounds right to us, and it still sounds great to me today. So I like that. I, I could totally relate to the uh, the characters thing. That's why mm-hmm. people still reference the the big Arnolds and Rambos and whatnot of that yeah. genre because they still kind of defined 
these massive characters. That's I totally what, agree. Yeah, that's what we grew up with. You know what I mean? Like, I think of like He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. And the Masters of the Universe. Okay? Now you give me Man of War. It, it, it's just, it's all <laughs> one and the same. You know what I mean? So this is, we were raised on this stuff. So the next logical thing, if you were going to get, if music was going to be your thing and you're getting into your early teens, if that's what you were coming from before, why the hell wouldn't you like this? A lot of them would sing about it. Look at like Dio and and Ingve. Uh, they're always slaying dragons and shit. You know what I mean? It's just all up. It's all up my alley. <laughs> so damn, did, did we just uncover a massive conspiracy? <laughs> <laughs> we, we've been marketed to our whole lives, and it was just brainwashing. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Okay. So obviously, kiss to you and ACDC for me are clearly our number one bands forever and always. Yep. And uh, yep. recently I had an epiphany that at this point their music is so listened to and celebrated in our households that it's almost like an additional family member at this point. You know what I mean? It is. Um, so tell me about the impact that Kiss had on you. I mean, I, I mentioned, I feel like I'm just, you don't even need, anyone who listens to this doesn't need to buy the book. I'm going to tell you everything that's in the book right here. Um, yeah. I'm going to hold back something. You know, there's something really good in there that I'm not going to discuss. But no, Kiss, you know, I think with Kiss, and I, I get into this a little bit in the book. At first, I would like, I really, Kiss was just like any other band in the 80s. They looked just like yep. Motley Crue, and they or they tried to. Actually, they, they didn't look as good as Motley <laughs> Crue. They tried. Um, so they, it was just like you know, they were just like everybody else. But that was the gateway. Like that's what got me in. But once I went back, and they had so many different kinds of styles that they dabbled in, whether it be disco or metal or experimental or whatever, your classic seventies rock. There was a lot of different sounds that they were kind of throwing out there. So that made it interesting. Yeah. But at the end of the day. This is the biggest example of superheroes that are rock stars. You know what I mean? They've got that makeup. <laughs> yeah. and, and, you know, you could also look at it when you look at, like, uh, characters when it come to, like, action figures back in the day. You know, there was this kind of He-Man, and then there was this with the battle armor, whatever. You know, they always had these variations. Kiss was a perfect example of that. Kiss had so many different variations. These are the, you know, the 1974 costumes. These are the Dynasty costumes. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's yeah. so much fandom. So, like, if you're, like, if you're a fandom person and you just get sucked into this kind of stuff and a completist and all this kind of stuff, you Kiss is just everything. I mean, it's just, it is what it is. You know, you, you're just hooked on it. You, you know, and I, and I'll never not be hooked on it. I'll always be interested in what they're doing. I don't necessarily always agree with everything they do, but I'm always on top of it, following it. And you made a great example when you said they're like a family member. I think when like Paul or Gene dies, I think it's going to have like catastrophic effects on me. It really will. Because that's so much oh, yeah. like that I was connected to for Jeez, I don't know, you know, 40 years almost at this point. You know what I mean? So it, yeah. it's going to be weird when they're not around anymore. Like, and I'm talking about on this planet. I think if they quit, I think I'll survive. Um, <laughs> I think if they pass away, I'll survive. <laughs> I don't mean it that way. But um, I just think that you, you really made a good point. Like, it is part of my life. Um, it's something that I my kids have gotten into a little bit because because of me. Uh, we, took, we took them to Kiss concerts. We painted them up. So there's so much stuff. And it's like... Kiss was with me through all these different eras, through my early days and the hair metal era of the 80s. Then when they did the reunion with their makeup, still going to, to this day. And it's like I said, me and my youngest son, he plays guitar. We play Kiss songs uh, constantly yeah. when we jam together. So, you know, you really nailed it. Like Kiss is a big part of the, the framework of this family. My wife and I, we went to a lot of Kiss conventions uh, when we were, first got together. So, yeah, a Kiss family for sure. That's cool. Yeah, I mean, I know you could literally write a book on kiss i totally could as big of a fan as you are so that was a good reader's digest version of that one because uh <laughs> yeah, i know we could talk forever about that I so, talk forever. but yeah no it's cool pun like intended that. forever you know yeah you know you walk down our hallways and there's there's uncle john there's there's grandpa joe there's uncle angus there's uh, uncle ace <laughs> <laughs> they're all famous family members now <laughs> totally man yeah totally so all right so let's move on to motley okay so okay. Motley Theater of Pain. Now, that was quite an introductory album for you as a young man at that point because, yes. you know, like I said, this, this focuses on your start in 86. The album came out just a year prior. Yep. So tell me about the importance of Motley Crue solidifying your love of the genre. 
was just like it, it's really where it all started i think for me because like i i don't i could i could never really pinpoint what i bought first but like to me like i feel like that was the beginning you know what i mean and it was like and that was the the biggest band doing it like they they were the first ones to really come out with that glam feminine glam you know lace and polka dots and and, and, <laughs> and feminine makeup at least for my eyes i i get i, get, I know what happened with the new york dolls and, and different things in the 70s but we're talking about for me you know i'm looking at these dudes and you know in theory you'd be you'd be thinking to yourself back then you'd think well what's wrong with these guys why are they dressing like girls uh but in my mind i'm like this makes total sense and these guys look cool and these guys were like my heroes so yeah that was just that first band that i got really connected to they were my first favorite band granted they did get knocked out by uh by Kiss down the road, but that was my first band, and I went right down the road, right of the fandom, because at that point there was posters that you could get, and there was T-shirts and pins, and you know, you name it. I had to have everything that had Motley Crue on it, and once again, it was just that edge. They had that edge. They were dangerous, even when they were dressed up in their pink lace. They still had a, had a dangerous. They had tattoos still. They, they you could tell they were still <laughs> badasses, you know. And of course, yeah. I, mean, I went back. I got shout at the devil. Actually, I talk about my cousins gave me shout at the devil, the record, and it was in the gatefold. And I opened up that gatefold, and I'm like, holy shit. You know, these oh, yeah. are like, you know, Mad Max, friggin', I don't even know why. You know, they're just from, a, these guys are from another world, you know, and they're, and they're, there's fire and all this shit going on, and you, the Looks to Kill video and, and Smoking in the Boys Room, all that stuff just had a huge impression on me. And it really, I, to this day, it defines the genre. You know what I mean? It defines the genre. I think so many people were trying to be Motley Crue. People have even fessed up to it. That, you know, that if they tried to, they saw what Motley Crue was doing, and they did the same thing. And then the next couple years later, Crue comes out with Girls, Girls, Girls. Everybody uh, uh, imitates that image. So just a very important band. And a band that was just, it was they were interesting. Every time they did a new album, they had a different look. They had a different logo, right? Their logo changed. Their sound would change. There's just so much to unpack with Motley Crue. But... You know, it's just, and they, and all four guys were important. You know, when you pe think people talk about Kiss or the Beatles, these guys all made this sound, and they, you knew them all. Vince was very distinct with his look and sound. Uh, Nikki was very outspoken, and then you had your really musical guys were were Mick and Tommy, who were just powerhouse musicians. So just uh, just a magical hair metal pairing of guys, man. Totally good. Yeah, and uh, you speak of this, the importance and the impact of that lighter, glamier look. And, uh, you know, specifically what Motley did in 85. Um, you got older and other bands like Quiet Riot and Twisted Sister, Ozzy, Wasp. Can you explain, like, this movement? And was it a, a wise career choice by those bands to, to lighten up their image? You know... That's a good question. I really don't know because I don't know of any of the ones that really tried hard to fit into that. I don't know if they were very successful at it. You know what I mean? Right. It was almost like you had to do it because you wouldn't be, you wouldn't look right. You know what I mean? And, and when you go back and and not to, because I love Keel and Keel's in the book, but if you look at yeah. Keel, I, I always felt like Keel was like one step behind. Like when you look at Motley Crue in 85, and then you look at Keel in 85, Keel kind of looks like Motley did in, in 84 or 83. You know what I mean? So it's, like, it's right. like they were just behind. So like if you wanted to stay ahead and be fresh with like the buying public, you had to lighten it up. You had to play the game because that's what, what the most popular band. I mean, look at the most popular bands pretty much at that point. You know, between Rat, Motley Crue, and then you got into 86, you got into Bon Jovi, David Lee Roth. I mean, these dudes were really flashy. And if you weren't sticking with that, you kind of were going to get lost in the dust. The only thing, like I said, like I said some of them, it didn't work. You, you're not going to make... Uh, Twisted Sister look like pretty boys. You know what I mean? It's just not. Gonna, <laughs> they it's not going to work. I almost think they should have went a whole even to a more of a darker extreme or something like that. Because I think um, you know it's just trying to put a square where a circle should be kind of thing. It just it just didn't work. For, so for some of them it worked. Some of it it didn't. A lot of them regret it. You know, like Doc and Don Dokken said he regretted it and and he felt yeah. like under lock and key kind of stuck with them. And you know that's just a cool other thing is that. The book was like a living document. It was basically done, and then all of a sudden, there's this string of interviews that happened. You know, Don Dockin, right. George Lynch, Ron Taylor, and I was able to insert them right into the living document right before I pulled the trigger. So it was so cool that 
you know, Do- especially Dockin. No offense to Ron Taylor because I love Ron Taylor. I love Lillian X. But Dockin is a real big one. And to just have some insight from those guys about all this. And I won't lie, I skewed my questions to, for my own, my own narrative. So, <laughs> so, you know what I mean? So, But they, hey, we all got something out of it. They are promoting their album. I helped them do that. They helped me with some book information. So one hand washes the other. Yep, perfect. You know, and this whole lighter image, it helped you, bro, have nice, big, beautiful hair. So that's one positive. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So the term hair metal, okay, it's an often controversial term. Um, I really liked Stephen Piercy's thoughts on it. Yeah. Especially coming from the guy whose band was labeled fashion rock when they debuted. So Mm -hmm. what do you think of the term and what do you think of how uh, Piercy phrased it? You know, I say it in the book. He, like I said, he he seemed to be okay with it. And so then, in turn, I, I kind of wondered why are are you not okay with it? <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah, uh, you know, at the end of the day, you've got to put a stamp on this. And let's be let's be real here. There's a certain kind of a look and sound when we talk about hair metal. You know, we, when we say it, we know we're talking about Poison, Cinderella, Motley Crue, Rat. We know that's what we're talking about. If we say 80s rock, we could be talking about Rick Springfield. If we talk about 80s <laughs> metal, we could be talking about Metallica. We don't know what we're talking about until we say hair metal. So it start. And Dee Snyder made a point, too. Um, I never interviewed Dee Snyder. So as if you, if you read the book, you realize that most of the stuff that's inserted in the book from the artists or the artists that I talked to because I would have loved to have had a lot of stuff from more stuff in the book about Poison and Cinderella but I looked at it this way I never talked to either band and I feel like they've probably been beat to death in other books so I tried to focus on some of the more rare artists that probably don't get the spotlight as much as big bands like Cinderella and Poison but Cinderella and Poison are both in there and now I realize that I'm going all over the place like the people I interview do so (laughs) <laughs> no, dude, you're so good. I have no problem with the hair model term it started as a negative but I think it's a good thing I mean if people are so against it then call Sirius and tell them not to play your song on Hair Nation oh yeah I'm sure they'll sign up on that one <laughs> <laughs> done mic drop okay that's right alright cool so um, a revelation you detail in the book is record label control Yeah. and uh, to a naive teen in the late 80s for an example, we were just supposed to believe that Mark Slaughter was supposed to be the guy in Vinnie Vincent and that yeah. his audition tape simply didn't have a return address on the package. Right. <laughs> so so talk to me about the truths that you uncovered in speaking to these artists. Wow, yeah, that, that's a big one. You know, it's it's there you know, because I think it's hard to find. It took me a while. I had to go back because I, I'm talking to Robert Fleischman, who sang on the Vinnie Vincent album. I'm talking to Goran Edmund, who almost got in Vinnie Vincent. You know, later he yeah. got he got to play with Ingve. So that story kept sticking into my mind. Like, oh, they Mark Slaughter was supposed to do it, but we lost his tape, and so we had to get this other guy. That story is complete bullshit. You know, so this the book debunks that story. Um, but the other thing that you're seeing is, you know, label pressure. It goes through the whole book, and, and, and I, you know, not to reveal who we who we point fingers in at the end of the book, but I think you won't take a rocket scientist to figure out that labels are a big culprit in the building up of this and the destruction of it. You know what I mean? And, yeah, uh, absolutely. There's a lot of shit. And okay, this is and this is everybody knows this. You know, think about the cherry pie story. You know, we all know the cherry pie guy story, and he wanted to he wanted to shoot himself for writing cherry pie. You mean cherry pie was label pressure? You know what I mean? So so labels yeah. had a big hand in this, um, but you've also got to put blame in other areas. You've got to put the blame on the bands too, because at the end of the day, Janie Lane could have said no, but he didn't. So there was a he wanted to be on top, he wanted to stay on top, he wanted to be famous, you know. So so I think fame, so there's these abstract concepts that are actually to blame. It's not just, you know, oh we're gonna blame grunge. Okay. That's way too easy, man. There's like abstract concepts that you have to blame, like emotions and feelings and greed and, and things like that. So th- these are the things that destroy anything that's good. You know, you could you could put this in any trend that you could ever think of. You could go back and you could look at disco. You could look at what's going on with superhero movies today. It, it's mm-hmm. greed and putting a bunch of shit out that's just like something else that's come out. And when that happens, the public's going to lose interest. 
So, you know, we, we can sit all day and analyze the death of hair metal. You know, hair metal was born to die. You know what I mean? Anything that gets big, it doesn't stay big forever. You know what I mean? It, you know, it, you, t- you look at somebody like Taylor Swift and, and everybody's talking about how huge she is. And, and he, my wife and I always say, she's going to tank. They all tank at some point, and she will. It might not be for a while, but it, but it will happen. So, you know, anything right. that's huge has to crash, and, and that's where we are with it today. It still exists, but it's it's really just a shell of what it was. Well, you're a big Wasp guy, and it seemed like Wasp was maybe potentially your gateway drug into the harder stuff. Yeah, would that be a pretty accurate statement? Yeah, you know, there's a couple key albums that I go through in the book, and, and these were albums that I wanted to talk about because they stood out to me, and the major thing that stood out to me was the covers. You know what I mean? I'd see Wasp album covers, and I'd be like, whoa, I need this. There's a guy painted <laughs> up as a leopard in a blue neon cage. I, I think I like this. I'm going to buy this. I don't even give it. I've never heard it. I don't even care. Yeah, Wasp was probably the gateway to the heavier stuff, even though when I got into Wasp, they were kind of... They weren't at their super heaviest or darkest or anything like that. But, um, yeah, I think I think Wasp was a gateway. And then Man of War was another one where I was, like, just bought it by looking at the cover. And and, uh, and they were quite a bit heavier than Wasp was. So, yeah, I mean, those were probably the gateway ones. And Anthrax was a big one. You know, Anthrax yeah. was, was just normal enough where it kind of felt like some of the hair model stuff because of Joey Belladonna. But then once you really got it, it was really fast, really heavy. Um, they swore a lot, you know. They they wore shorts. <laughs> they were they were different, you know what I mean? So <laughs> yeah. Very interesting guys. They're funny. They like to bust balls and stuff. So they didn't take themselves too serious, and they played great music. So yeah, I think th- those are a few key bands that were yeah. It, those that's how I got hooked on the heavy stuff. Yeah, and keeping with that heavier era, you got you know Dio, like you mentioned, Manowar and Anthrax, yep. Celtic Frost, Sabotage. Yeah. How is it? How is it that these albums cozied right up? Next to open say open up and say ah and slippery when wet for you. I know. And it, you know it, how is that? I mean, they're they're polar opposites. They are, but I, I don't know. Like growing up in that time, the stuff didn't seem that different to me. I think today people, you know, because once again, the, the hair metal label is, is offensive to many. So, like, if you said Manowar was hair metal, you know, you you. You know, somebody cut your head off with a, a warrior sword, you know what I mean? Or if you were, you know, if you say the sabotages hair model, you might get some pushback. But I think back in the day, like, it kind of all felt the same because, yeah. let's face it, it was all getting played on Headbangers Ball. Headbangers Ball, let's, you know, this is a realization. And damn it, I wish I could have put this in the book. But Headbangers Ball <laughs> is like the melting pot of all yeah. this shit. Because you would watch it, and you'd see Bon Jovi, and then you'd see Sabotage, and then you'd see... Well, you wouldn't see Manowar, because they really wouldn't play Manowar, but, you know, Europe and all, a deal. So it was all there, and, yeah, I really do think Headbangers Ball would probably normalized it so, like, it could all be together. And let's face it, they were a lot of them were on the same labels, and, the, you know, it just there was a lot of similarities. It's just that, like, one band was a lot heavier, and another band was lighter, you know what I mean? But I still... They played the same kind of, you know, everybody was playing BC Rich, everybody was playing Ibanez, and, you know, it was like, they felt the same, even though they were drastically different. Yeah, and it's great because I feel like it's all mood dependent, you know, like I've talked about my my equal love for both versions of Van Halen, you know, if yeah. I'm feeling like sipping a, a margarita and hanging out, I'll put on OU812, and if I feel like rocking out with the fellas, I'll put on Van Halen too, you know, so it's like... It's yeah. more dependent, and I love the genre for it. You know, the crazy thing, too, is you got to look at it this way. I mean, there are some people, I'm not one of these people, but there are some people that my wife is like this. She'll be like, I, I like MC Hammer. I like Winger. I like, uh, you know, TLC. I like uh, yeah. Metallica. You know, I'm not like that. You know what I mean? But at least I can vary it up within the framework of metal. I'll listen to hair metal right. and I'll listen to thrash metal. <laughs> you know, I, I do kind of, you know, I'll, do, I'll listen to some classic rock too, but I feel like that's about as crazy as I get, as just the different spectrums of rock and metal. Well, cool. Now we're going to enter the Ingwe era. Ah, Ingwe, so. <laughs> and it's all coming out. So, you know, in in the Ingwe research and speaking to various members, and um, 
I've heard the Joe Lynn Turner story. The the labels basically built a money making band with Odyssey. Yeah. Now, just like the biographies that we read from, you know, the Piercy's and and the other artists out there, it, it really spells out the ugliness. And I'm glad we were innocent and naive when it came to that when we were young and, and going through it. But is it safe to say that this is where your Ingwe love began was from the Odyssey album? You know, that was hard to figure out. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I think I had the ones before. I, I mentioned it. I think I had Marching Out and I had um, Trilogy. But I don't think they registered the way that Odyssey did. Yeah, so Odyssey was, was where the, the real obsession of, about Ingve kind of took place. But, you know, the thing about Ingve, talk about it in the book, you know, like you're going to hear what Goran Edmund says about Ingve. You're going to hear what Joe yeah. Lynn says about Ingve. Ingve's kind of a dick, you know what I mean? And Ingve <laughs> is a control freak, you know what I mean? He could have had, I think he could have had the world. I think if he just would have just been a member of a band, and he could have had a lot of say in what went on in that band, but for him to just have to have his name on it and him on the cover, you know, you might have impressed the guitar nerds, but you weren't going to impress the girls, and you weren't going to impress the average music fan, you know what I mean? So... Um, mm-hmm. I think he could have played the game a little bit more. God bless him that he did it. You know, he's an original, and he did he, he did life his own way, and he'll always be looked at as a legendary guitar player. It's funny, there's right. a story that's just out today where he says, it was, it was on some website, Loudwire or something, and he's like, I don't need any singers, I don't need any producers, and I don't need any outside songwriters. And I actually tagged it, and I was like, no, you actually do. <laughs> you actually do. You haven't made a good album in, like, I don't even know when. Maybe, like, 20 years or something. It's been a while. And I even thought the ones that he did with Tim Ripper Owens. And I love Tim Ripper Owens. I love his voice. But I don't think yeah. that was even right. I don't even think those songs were that great. So um, I think he he would benefit from having some outside influence. I mentioned in the book, the biggest tragedy in, in metal, in my opinion, is that Dio and Ingve didn't make an album together. Or yes, because exactly. it, I think we've talked about this before on the podcast. It's this ego. You know what I mean? Be, I I got to be in a band called Dio. I got to be in a band called Ingve's Rising Force. The egos never would have worked. But man, the lyrics and the vocals and the melodies of Dio with the guitar work and riffs of Ingve, man, and we'll never ah. see it because now Ronnie's passed. So it's it's a dirty yeah. shame. Yeah. All right. Well. I sense a theme as the book goes on and has to do with Queen and TNT and Queensryche and Lumen Axe and Sabotage. The cerebral kind of deeper thing kind of grabbed you. Um, You know, whereas I'm like a sex, cars, booze, chicks, simple ACDC, Motley Girls, Girls, Girls type. Um, I still obviously like all the bands I just mentioned, but would it be accurate that as your years went on, you kind of gravitated towards these type of bands a little bit more? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And I think that you, you framed that pretty good because I think that's why it makes sense that I didn't buy a lot of up-and-coming hair bands like in 91 and 92. Yeah, I, I think mm-hmm. that's where I was going, you know what I mean? I, I felt like I liked that deeper stuff. I didn't have a problem with any of the – I'm a Kiss fan. Come on, let's, let's – let's, let's, <laughs> I'm a Kiss fan. That's all I'm going to say. So I mean, X, yeah. X and sex and, and, all, and all this crap. Rock me, make me rock hard. I mean, I'm used to all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But, but I did – find the bands that maybe told stories or or something that was uplifting i also queen isn't necessarily i don't think queen roy's the best lyricist but i but i think what i liked about queen was those multi-vocals the harmonies the melodic leads and just super great melodies you know what i mean so that's why i mentioned yeah. Queen a couple times because i think when bands implemented the queen sound like tnt did and sabotage did I really liked it, you know what I mean? Because I, cause I, I was a big Queen nut. And unfortunately, as I mentioned in the book, I, I didn't get into Queen heavily till the end when, you know, the year that Freddie Mercury died, which which really sucked. But, um, yeah. so, you know, Queen pretty much ended at that point. Yeah, no, I, I did kind of grab it. You know, Warrior Soul is another example. That's a band that is not a hair band. Uh, they sing a lot of deep political stuff against things that were going on in, in society. And I did really like that. So I do, I do like deeper concepts. Uh, Operation Mindcrime is one of my favorite albums. I think it's so cool. A lot of the Queensryche stuff is cool. And it, it was really awesome that I got to talk to Jeff Tate because I feel like yeah. 
I think I probably told you, like, when I, after I interviewed him, and this happens to me all the time, sometimes I get that vibe where I'm like, oh, this guy was kind of a jerk. Like, he didn't like me or something, you know. I, you know, but you got to take it, like, this, this is just how these people are. George Lynch was the same way. I was like, oh, I don't know, man. Lynch was a tough interview. I don't know if he was down with it. And then somebody messaged me. I think it was Paul Miles. Uh, who wrote all the Motley Crue books, and he's like, you know, I think George was really liking this uh, interview, and that's not, that's unusual. So, you know, it's just, sometimes the way it feels when you're doing it is like, oh, I don't know if that went over that great. Jeff Tate was really cool. He gave me a lot of cool information about Operation Mindcrime, the Empire Tour, and I threw that in the book. Uh, I threw in a little bit about George Lynch. So sometimes it was those interviews that that felt awkward or whatever. They really weren't that bad, and, and and maybe these people are just a little bit more difficult than the average person. And I bet you the bandmates would, would say the same thing. They just have a, <laughs> a certain way. I mean, Don, Don Dockett will tell you that. And I'm sure the guys yeah. in the drug. I mean, Jeff Tate is known that he can be a little bit difficult. But I probably got one of the you know better versions of him as a human being talking to me. So, you know, so it, you know, it's just so it, it is. It's weird. I think for the most part, everybody was very cool that I ever talked to. But like I said, you get those ones where... They probably didn't really want to deal with it, but some manager or some publicist is making them do it. Sometimes you got some of that, but I think overall everybody was pretty cool. And selfishly, that's where uh, my podcast introduction began because I came on for the last few minutes uh, after Jeff Tate was finished up. You did. That's right. I know. That's, I should yeah. go back and listen to that. <laughs> that that's where our uh, podcasting gig together started. So, yeah, that, that's awesome. Yeah, it's cool. All right. So, Cinderella Winger. Bullet Boys. What a lineup from that concert you were at. So, um, you know, I know you're a young man, and people often ask me, I, I go to a concert, and they say, oh, did they play this song? Did they play that song? And I go, man, I don't know. I can't remember. <laughs> so, <laughs> we know Winger was amazing live. Yep. Um, Bullet Boys seemed to be energetic and cool. Yep. Um but was Cinderella as good as people say they are live? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. And, and I mentioned that in the book. It's like it's, it, it sounded just like the record. And I, and I remember even being a kid thinking, kind of surprised, because uh, I, when I talk about I saw Motley Crue uh, a couple years earlier, and, and even as an uh, 11-year-old kid, I knew Vince's voice just wasn't the same as it was. <laughs> it wasn't horrible, but it wasn't the same as what you hear on the record. It definitely sounded different. Right. Um, you can tell Vince has some studio work done on him and maybe he doubles it or whatever it is that he does. It sounds different. He's not shit face. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> the studio versus the record or versus the live show. But, uh, but yeah. no, Cinderella was spot on and it was cool because when you listen to what everybody says, everybody says, you know, that was on that tour, how great he was. And, and I'm saying he was great. Right. You know, I, I'm with you. Could I tell you what every song they played? No. But were there key moments that I remember? Of course. And I'll never forget Night Songs because Night uh, Songs yeah. was just so cool and heavy and the whole stage was purple and smoky and it was almost like they were trying to recreate the Night Songs album cover even though they weren't as glammed out at that point. But, but you know, it, it was just like, it was it was wicked cool, man. And those are those, and that's what I did. Even, I, I, I don't even know if some of the stuff I recount in the book at the concerts is even accurate. But I look at it like it's how I remember it. You know what I mean? So maybe some of this shit didn't even happen, but it happened in my mind. And that's and that's where this whole book comes from. There's <laughs> probably shit that is not accurate. I'm sure most books you get from people like Kiss and all these guys, there's no way these people remember all this shit. Even Nikki Six is being oh, called yeah. out by Tom Worman, right? There's no way to remember like exact conversations you had with people 30 years ago. But, you know, it's just how it is in your brain. So that's what I tried to play yeah. out there. What I re I remembered that T-shirt was really important to me, so I mentioned it. You know what I mean? These are just the random things that I remember. Other people probably remember totally different things. So it's just it's just what's left in this noggin of mine. So yeah, you know, I saw Cinderella and Poison and Quiet Riot with Dubrow and Firehouse when they did a package tour yeah. in like the early two thousands. And um, it was at a Great America, which is a big theme park in Santa Clara, California, and they opened with Night Songs, and I thought. Damn, that's such an odd opener because I think it is as a slower song. So but heavy. then watching it, I thought, oh, this makes perfect sense. It's hard as shit and it's a slow chugger. This is killer. Yep. So I, I specifically remember that song as an opener, but pretty much nothing else. And also, um, 
I, I met Jeff Labar there because he was walking around the theme nice. park with his wife or girlfriend at the time and took like pictures with people and autographs. He's really sweet. So yeah. that was a cool memory. Yeah, that's the closest we get to a Cinderella member in the book is um, is Jeff Labar's brother. There's some yes. comments from him. And I've mentioned this a million times on the podcast. I was this close to having Tom Kiefer on the show. And it was for this tour that was going to be with Stephen Piercy and Skid Row and all these guys. And it got canceled right before COVID, or right, right oh, before no. COVID, it got canceled. And then it was like, interview stopped, and they didn't want to talk about anything. And then that was it. I, I, I lost my, my Tom Kiefer. But I did talk to him for like two seconds in the grocery store. I was in the grocery store. He called me because the publicist screwed up screwed up the dates, and he called me at the wrong on the wrong day or some shit. So, you know, it always burns my ass. That I was like, I could have, I almost had Tom Kiefer. Because he doesn't do a lot of interviews, and that would have been prime shit to have in the book but it is what it ah, is. ah damn it yeah it is what it is yeah all right well crew 89 motley 89 was just universally humongous yeah it was just their their peak of their peak professionally but do you believe it was their peak musically no no it wasn't their peak musically and you know one thing that i think happens to everybody is is especially when you have a band that you really like that brand new album is their best right <laughs> for, for like maybe maybe a couple years maybe it, it's their best yeah uh and then all of a sudden you start to realize like ah, it starts to wear off you know what i mean like you know dr feelgood is nowhere as good as shout at the devil or uh theater of pain in my book or uh too fast for love, but mm-hmm. I think what a, what it is is right. It's it was the height of their career, and and it was really a cool time to be a fan because I think I even mentioned like the videos. You know, Motley Crue did like five videos, and that was unheard of. Motley Crue usually did two videos. You know what I mean? So like, yeah, you know they were right up on par with like Bon Jovi and Death Leopard and all that kind of stuff, and they sold a shitload of copies, and they looked cool. And there was all kinds of cool posters and T-shirts that you could buy. So it was just a cool time to be a Motley Crue fan. And I do. I remember that walk after school. It was, it was the first day of school of 1989. Got that puppy, went home, cranked it, and it was just, there There was my boys. You know what I mean? It had been a couple years uh, since we'd heard what they were up to, and they were sounding good, at least, at least sound quality-wise, really good with, with Bob Rock and the singles are all super good. It's just, I think that, you know, at the end of the day, there's probably a couple throwaways on there, but overall just a cool era for, of Motley Crue. Very good. So earlier you mentioned that there was a theme and it, it was, it was timing and it was yeah. singles being released and whatnot. So I'd like to talk about boys and heat real quick. It seems to be your <laughs> underdog favorite. Um, from the the Britney catalog, but in listening to the interviews, it seems like there are some big mistakes regarding this album in terms of what singles were released, uh, the cover art they don't like, the album title they don't like. Like, Can you kind of explain a little bit more about that? Yeah, well, first of all, let's just say if you're a Britney Fox fan, you're going to dig this book because (laughs) I think they probably (laughs) get the most page time out of any band in this book, which is really odd, but uh, I think it's because I've become probably a bigger Britney Fox fan today than I was even when I was a kid. And I talked to all of them. I talked to every single person except for Dean Davidson. So, of course, I've got a lot of information to share. And, yeah, no, Boys and Heat is that weird underdog album because, you know, I think the biggest problem is that Dean left the band during its run. You know I mean? That's the biggest thing. But, no, yeah, I mean, the cover's goofy. Nobody likes the cover. You know, they, they didn't get picked up on, on certain tours that they probably could have. Uh, just a lot of missteps in their eyes. But to me, I don't believe there's any missteps. I think I go back and listen to it, and I think it's a great album. You know, like I said, I think mm-hmm. I would have released some different songs if I was the uh, the guy in control. But I think at the end of the day, you know, it's a really good album. I, I love listening to it to this day. It's, it's my favorite Britney Fox album. But, yeah, you know, there's some things that just probably didn't do them any favors. You know, you, if you think back, I mean – you, you could say, like, wow, that, that look they had in 88 was a little, you know, too too crazy, you know, with this this um, Revolutionary War era glam or whatever, you know, with the puffy shirt, yeah. pirate metal, whatever you want to call it. But at least <laughs> that got your attention. 
those ugly like cabbage patch kid looking guys that are on the toys. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's not gonna make you want to buy. I mentioned I bought Britney Fox's album without ever hearing them based on the cover of the debut. You you wouldn't have bought right. Boys and Heat based on the cover. You you just have to buy it because you like Britney Fox. Well, cool. All right, so. 89 White Snake. It's a much different band that the uh, they created the, that created the 1987 album. But again, we love it. Yep. We share the love for that one. Yep. What appeals to you about 89 Slip of the Tongue so much with uh is it Steve Vai or yep. what do you think it is? It's a lot of different things. I think uh, I think one of the key things was um, I think the 1987 album was so huge, and I think it, it was easy to get burnt out on a lot of those songs because it just was overplayed. You know what I mean? So "Slip of the Tongue" was not overplayed. You know what I mean? They had a little bit of success, but but nothing like they had for the '87 album. So I think it's the the obscurity of it. You know, is, is appealing. Mm-hmm. I, I do like Steve I as as I mentioned in the book. I was big into Eat Him and Smile. So I think when Steve I is playing with somebody like David Lee Roth or um, David Coverdale, he really shines. So I think he shines on that album. And it's a little bit heavier. And I like heavier heavier stuff. So, yeah, those are the kind of things that uh, appeal to me about that one. It's the heaviness, the Steve Vai, and the obscurity of it. Okay. Well, as we go down the line, a lot of killer 80s bands split. But... For instance, Widowmaker was born of Twisted Sister Split, yep. Arcade out of Rat, yep. Lynch Mob, and Don Dock and self-titled uh, Solo. Do you think we actually benefited from bands breaking up as fans? Let me think. All right, I'm going to be completely honest with you. I can't think of a ton of bands that split that both had great output. I really just can't think. You got me, man. You really got me. Good job. <laughs> Um, but, it's your book's fault, man. This is your fault. You but, but I read here's, that shit here's, I was like, whoa. Here's I a couple. Here. Here's a couple. <laughs> so, I've, okay, I, I'll use Kiss as an example. So, Kiss is actually a great example. All right, I'm, I'm getting That's there. Perfect. I'm onto something. Yeah, okay, go. here we go. Here I, we see go. That, I see what you're about to do. Here. Okay, like here we it. go. Okay, so... You can look at it this way, you know, with with Ace Freely leaving Kiss, we got Freely's Comet, which was some great stuff. At the meet, you know, at the same time, we had Kiss and Freely's Comet out, so we're, it's like double your pleasure, double your fun here, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. Same thing happened with Vinnie Vincent. We got Vinnie Vincent Invasion. Yeah. Um, we had Kiss albums out at the same time. But what I'm going to say about at least both of those is that I really do think that like Vinnie Vincent in Kiss is better than him outside of Kiss. Ace Freely, the same uh-huh. thing. So I, I really would have liked to see those guys stay and see what we could have gotten. And it's the same thing when it comes to, um, there was another one that came to mind. Oh, Dokken and Lynch, you know. It's so cool that we got Lynch Mob, and it was great that we got the Don Dokken album, but I would like to see what would have been if we had that, you know, Don Dokken, or... Uh, Actually, both of their mindsets at that time doing an album together. So I think it's cool. I mean, if it's inevitable and it's going to happen and we get another you know, couple albums out of it as separate uh, entities, that's cool. But I think that at the end of the day, I would have preferred a lot of these people to stay with the bands and see what would have been next. So, mm-hmm. Agreed. Well, we move on to Striper. So I'm just going to kick it off against the law. It's my favorite Striper album. But... And it's their least favorite what's so bad about it in michael sweet's opinion you know he, he, he talks about it and I put, I put it in the book it, you know basically he just feels that it's it's not a, a true striper album and i get it most bands who do a departure album you gotta look at it this way right if it's a departure album and it doesn't sell well you know it's basically blacklisted <laughs> you know in their catalog yeah. they, they won't play songs from it they don't really acknowledge it Kiss has done that. I'm sure ACDC doesn't dig too deep on Fly in the Wall. Or, you know what I mean? It's like everybody's yes. got those kind of like dud albums or departure albums that they just don't really acknowledge. So I get what he's saying. You know, you got to look at it this way. As a fan, you can sit and listen to that album all day. And I, I listen to it a lot. I love it. But I get where he's coming from. If you do look at where they were, you know, they're, they're a Christian band. They wear yellow and black. You know, th- this is what they do. Should they be allowed yeah. to step outside of the fr- that framework and do something? Of course. But, like, it's the same thing like Kiss. You know, when K- Kiss did music from The Elder, it was a concept album. They cut their hair, played a different kind of music. Everybody hated it. So your fans 
dictate what it is that you can do. Now, if you look, if we, we talk about these, a couple of these stripe, stripe problems in the book, if you look at To Hell with the Devil, In God We Trust, and Against the Law, it's a downward spiral of sales. It's platinum, gold, nothing. You know what I mean? So you got to yeah. look at it this way. So at the end of the day, they're reacting to what the fans want. So overall, fans, you know, because what happened? I'll tell you exactly what happened because I was there and I bought the damn thing. You, the, the people that like traditional striper were not impressed. They were like, man, what happened to my band? You know, this is ridiculous. Now they're trying to be like a Motley Crue or something like that. The people that like Motley Crue, oh, stripers want to be of, of, of the, you know, they're trying to be tough guys. I don't buy it, you know. So nobody bought it on either side of the fence. So I, that's why he doesn't care for this album. It's not striper. And I get where he's coming from, but... Look at man, it, we're all freaks, fans of music, right? We're all us, we're all fanatics, and we're all freaks, and we're always going to gravitate to some weird album for whatever reason, and it's okay, you know. If we like Against the Law, that's fine. I get why they don't like it, and I get why they don't play it, but hey, they can't stop us from listening to it, right? <laughs> Maybe you can. Exactly. You can pull it from uh, Spotify, like uh, like a lot of other people pull shit off Spotify. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you don't like it so much, pull it off. I yep, get it. Exactly. Cool. Well, this is more of a, a comment straight out of jealousy, but Striper, Queensryche, Rat, you purchased their brand new albums in one day as a young man. Yep. That must have been a killer feeling, man. Yeah. So I just got to comment on that one. That's freaking awesome. Yeah. That's a big day for a music guy. Well, well you, you, want, you got me thinking about something I want to touch on. A lot of sure. people will dispute when... I don't think anyone disputes against the law and Detonator. Those, for sure, were released the same day. There's high disputes about when Empire was released, okay? So I'm, I don't even know what dates are, but it never falls into when I think it came out. And you can't trust Wikipedia because who the hell put that there? I don't know. It could have been anybody. You know what I mean? So... In my mind, Ryan, the way that I remember it, because and here's how I remember it. All three of them came in cardboard boxes, the CDs. This oh, is when they were yeah. in cardboard Love boxes. That. Okay, I even mentioned this in the book. I had to have all my walls covered, okay? And the most pain in the ass spot to cover up is right above your window, right? From the ceiling to your window. It's like a little weird rectangle, okay? How are you going to cover that? Well, guess what you're going to do? Yeah. You're going to chop up the box. And you're going to put the pictures all in there. So I remember doing that with all three of those. So I remember having them all at the same time. And another thing that I remember is that I, I remember gravitating instantly to Empire. And then I remember the other two took a little bit longer to get into. And what the point I'm trying to make is that like when you bought this thing and you paid 17 bucks for it, you needed to, to get to know it, right? You needed to spend some time with it. And when you're getting three at once, somebody's going to just you know, blow off somebody else out of the water. You know what I mean? And you're going you're gonna to gravitate <laughs> yeah. toward one, and you're like, wow, that Queensryche. And let's face it, Empire, upon first listen, is pretty damn great. You know what I mean? So, oh, so, yeah. so I think Empire, you know, was way more interesting, way more creative than those other two albums. I got into those other two. It just, was, it just took a little bit longer because somebody had to go to the forefront. So that's the way I remember it. You know, you got to look at it this way. Albums came out differently in Europe. They came out differently even in Canada. So so I'm sticking to that that album came out on August 20th. I think that's the date that I mentioned in the book. I, I'm, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Okay. All three of those right. bad boys came out the same day, and everything contradicts that. I think everything, Now that I think about it, everything says September 5th. I'm saying August 20th. I'm, sti- I'm sticking to my guns. All right. Well, we're wrapping it up here on this, but I want to say you have a really, really cool take on the whole grunge takeover. I think that people should read it. If you'd like to touch upon it in the Reader's Digest version of it, you're welcome to right now, but I'd never thought of this, and I think you have a really good take on what happened at the end there. Right. So it's up up to you. If you want to tease it out there and say, buy the book, assholes. Buy the book and read it for yourself, or feel free to tease it a little bit. Buy the book, assholes. <laughs> yeah, boy. No, no I mean, it, it's all I'm going to say, and I said this in the beginning, and I'll, I'll say this is what I'll say now. 
the, going into it, I didn't think it was going to have a point. I, I'm dead serious. All I thought I was going to do was just going to go through each year that I that I went through, and I was going to tell you what what albums I bought, insert the bands that I talked to, tell you about the concerts I went to, touch on the fandom stuff like the cons or the uh, you know the T-shirts and the posters and the records. That's all that I thought that this was going to be. Almost like a just you know, like a diary or, or, or me just rec- reflecting on each year. But what happened was, is that I kept hearing the same kinds of stories, right? And I, I started that, and I, and when you put everybody's uh, things that they talked about in a silo, right? Like, let's put everything they talked about in 86, everything 87, everything, you know, all the way to 91, you're going to see similar themes, you know what I mean? So a lot of the people, here's what I will say, a in the bands themselves did not believe that grunge killed the genre. So, mm-hmm. you know, and then with their thoughts on it and with what I, what I kind of pieced together, I didn't really believe it either. So that's what I'll say about it. And, um, I think, I think the book ends pretty strong. You know what I mean? I, I do like the way the book, I'll give myself that, you know, I'm, I'm a very critical person. I'm very critical of myself. Um, but I do like the way the book ends. I think I, point fingers at a lot of different people, a lot of different concepts. Uh, it's not cut and dry. It's not that easy. That's the main thing. It's not. It's way too easy to say that grunge killed hair metal. That's too easy. Oh, yeah. And I think if you have even a, one you know, intellectual bone in your body, you know, and after you read all this, you're going to realize that if, if that was a suspect, they're like the least of the suspects. <laughs> and that's what, that's yes. the best way to put it. Okay. Um one thing I'll say is I thought it was super killer that Don Dawkins stuck up for Kip Winger in that Metallica reference yeah. in the interview with him. <laughs> and that just that's came just out of nowhere. A... <laughs> See, that's the beauty of like conversation. Even with us just having a conversation today, hopefully people don't take this as just some infomercial for the book. We had a nice discussion about hair metal, you know, and, and I don't ever know what these guys are going to say. That's, you know, and I'm hoping, to, like I said, I want to do another installment of the book. I re- I'd like to get deeper into like the whole podcast piece because I really didn't, couldn't, I put a little bit about it, but not much because if we didn't have the podcast, we wouldn't have the interviews. That's basically all yeah. that I can say about it, but I really wanted to keep it. And, you know, maybe the book could have been longer, but I felt like it had to begin in 86 when I got into this music and it had to end in 91. It, it, I don't know. That was just all that was in my head. Like it has to end, you know, it, and we can do another installment where we'll, we'll pick up the pieces. It'll be like after a nuclear war, right? <laughs> we'll, the, you, the bands are going <laughs> to step out into this new world that you know, the world's changed. You know what I mean? I, I want to start the next one just like that. You know, so I hope people buy it. Hope we can do another one. Look, this is my last pitch for the book. I've never peddled T-shirts. I've never peddled hats, okay? I'm not mocking anybody who does it, but all they do is take the image that they use for their podcast, plop it on a shirt, it takes them five minutes, and they probably sell it to you for 30 bucks, okay? All I'm giving you is the 80s glam metal cast greatest hits, right? It's every little bit of different thing that I ever, person I ever talked to. And it's not just the run-of-the-mill shit. It's rare bands. There's probably bands in there that, that you love, but like nobody that, that you know on the planet knows who they are. That's the way, at least the way it feels. <laughs> this is what's in there. This is who I am. If you ever even wonder, like, well, what, what is this guy's story? I'm not saying I'm anybody that you would care to know what my story is, but you know, I put my story out there. Maybe it's similar to your story. Maybe you can relive some of this shit through me. Maybe you're a young kid who missed all of this. Well, I'm telling you from a, the aspect of another young kid who went through it, what it was like. You know what I mean? We grew up in a magical period. You know, in the 90s, I thought I was a loser. I, I didn't think I was a loser, but they made you think like you were a loser because you saw Motley Crue live. Now I know I'm a legend <laughs> because I saw Motley Crue live and I saw Cinderella live. I know I'm honored that I saw that Cinderella Winger Bullet Boys concert. So this is just me going through the fandom. Here's another thing. Oh, man, this is – I'm telling you, I'm on a roll now. Watch out, people. Somebody asked me in a message board, you know, there's this other book, and I thought that was pretty – you know, the pretty complete story of hair model. Is you, how does yours compare? A, I didn't read the book that he <laughs> talked about. I have no idea how it compared. I have read read other hair model books, but I have not read the one that he mentioned. There's no way that it can, can, can compare. Okay, 
I am the one who asked the questions to the bands. I'm the one who had the thoughts of things that I wanted to know, and they told them to me directly. Have they told these stories before? Of course. But this is me asking the bands that I grew up on. Nobody's going to have the same exact story as me. It's impossible. I'm me. You know what I mean? Like, I know some of it's going to be similar. So this, and this is not the most definitive. I'm not going year by year and telling you every single album that came out. I'm not doing that. I'm just telling you a story about how this stuff got big and how it died. And I'm putting in little bits about things that I did during that. So all it is, it's a hair metal journey. It's not the definitive thing where like you're, it's, a, it's not an encyclopedia, right? It's just a story that's trying to give you a vibe and a feeling. That's all that it is. And, th- and with that, I got nothing. <laughs> I'm out. Well, shit. That's a perfect way to end this thing. That was great. I appreciate that. Well, I appreciate you, you man. You interviewed me and came up with questions. You took your time. I appreciate it. You're always taking your time um, coming on the podcast and everything. So I appreciate you. I appreciate everybody that bought the book. I, I just wanted people to connect with it. I just hope that people enjoy it. And, you know, I, I would love to do another one. I would love to do 92 to whatever. <laughs> so we'll see. I don't know. <laughs> That'd be great. I'm not sure what we're well, it's all, end, Yeah, <laughs> It's always a highlight, you know, coming on the show and speaking to you and and now reading the book, so job well done. It's really cool. Thanks, brother. Well, I don't know, man. I think Ryan did a pretty good job. Maybe he needs his own podcast. Maybe he doesn't need Metal Mike. Who knows? But what you need to do is buy A Hair Metal Journey on Amazon. And now it's time to rock on.